which is creating death and destruction. And I haven't been recording this whole time, so we're going to have if equality on the first half of this, unfortunately. Oh, we can just redo it. I was like not sure about it because there's so much looking up and whatnot. Let's just recap. Let's just restart from right now. I think so. Oh, God. Okay, I'm editing this one and I'm getting that fucking editing software that I know how to use and I'm just going to do it. It's fine. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Okay. Do you want to start with the clip or though? I don't know that the clip is actually necessary. Or maybe you can start with it. It's really ignored. Let's play it. Good morning. Welcome to... Here we are. Welcome to... Social <laughs> Psycho. We have been talking for an hour and we didn't hit record until just now. I didn't hit record, so... We'll see how this goes. Now, let me um, let me cue something up really quick. Mr. A is going to play a clip for us. Already, the U.S. has sent from its stockpiles more than $32 billion worth of weapons, including more than a million 155-millimeter shells. I think we can stop there. Okay. So they, that guy goes on to rattle off all this other stuff that's been sent, which is all very expensive. Now, those are uh, those uh, shells, 155 millimeter shells. Let's just call it what it is. They're missiles that get fired out of cannons. They're not millions. They're not bullets. They get shot at a cannon looking things. You know, they're big. I don't my my initial point was, is there enough land to drop a million bombs on without basically turning the entire country of Russia into gravel? I don't know. That's an insane amount of artillery, an insane amount of bombs, an insane amount of money. Each of those 155 millimeter missiles uh, costs $3,300,000. Now, we did the math on that, and let's just say that it costs um, billions and billions just in that single artillery unit that one item that we've sent a million of is billions and billions of dollars billions and billions of dollars i think it was like three billion dollars or something something for these 155 million dollar shells 155 no for a million shells the 155 millimeter shells (laughs) yeah Yeah. millimeter shells sorry if they're 155 million (laughs) dollars i would probably just quit this now and start digging my bunker um so yeah, they're God missiles. You damn. could look it up. I think we may have said 35 millimeter a second ago. They are 155 millimeter. 155 millimeter shells. 35 basically million of them. And there's a million of them. And they're, which is $3,000 a piece, at least, or three and a half thousand a piece. We're talking billions of dollars of just one item, let alone the millions and millions of dollars which we're sending them, or sorry, excuse me, excuse me, billions and billions of dollars which we're sending them in actual money and other equipment. Not just us, but also the rest of the world. So basically, all this money is just pouring in to Ukraine. We also did a little bit of visualizing. We talked about how much a trillion is. Since we are trillions of dollars in debt as a country, since we have trillions of dollars of shite 
going to these other countries while we have millions and millions of homeless people on our streets. You've got uh, a million. So what was it? It was well, a, a billion a, a, is a, a thousand times larger than a mil a million, and a trillion yeah. is a thousand times larger than a billion. So if you think about like a trillion or a billion seconds, it's thirty-two years. Yes, and then if you think about a billion or a trillion, a, a trillion, oh my it's <laughs> thirty-two. Is it's thirty-two. <laughs> thousand years is how if you counted one second per dollar yeah yeah. Um, another visualization which i liked was if you rolled them out uh one at a time faster than that if you rolled them out at the rate of the speed of sound so it would be very loud to produce these dollars they would be coming out at a sonic boom (laughs) as they split (laughs) particles in the atmosphere it would take 14 years or something along that line just to do 1 trillion and this is in a situation of debt national debt of 32 trillion so we're talking all of human history and all of future human history combined would not we couldn't print this stuff fast enough <laughs> not that you would ever print the money wow i do not remember it. Or I didn't hear that statistic from the first half of this conversation. Straight thunder. That's the sound of this printer is just... just blowing dollars. How, I mean, the dollars are catching on fire. They're moving so fast. That's going to take you 14 years per trillion. And Amazing. we're spending... We're at a level now where we're tens of trillions per year, basically, coming in debt. We're just out of control. Just send your wire. <laughs> just send your cash. Just, just as George Bush said, just send your cash. And uh, we were making some points, which would be hard to recapture, I think, because okay. So, well, um, let's just talk about the Ukraine. So, one fact. Uh, so we've been sending a lot of aid to the Ukraine. I think that was the point of this clip: is like, what is going on with all this U.S. 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 with all these U.S. missiles going there? Ain't right. So if you look at Statista, the country sending the most military aid to Ukraine. You've got the U.S. at number one by a long shot. We have sent, what is this in? This is in billions. 46.56 billion. We've, that's what we've pledged. Sorry. We've pledged in military aid to the Ukraine. The next largest pledge is a mere fraction of that which is by uh, Great Britain or the UK. And they've only pledged $5.1 billion. So just take that, multiply it by nine, nine, nine times as much as the second largest contributor to the Ukraine effort. That's the US. Number one. So Where? it just seems a little fiscally and politically irresponsible that's a thousand years of seconds per dollar. That we <laughs> it see well, yeah. So it just seems really strange given our position. So this is another interesting fact that we looked up. So in national accounting, you can think about countries in the global economy that are net lenders and net debtors. So some countries, uh, you know, on net, other countries owe them money. Some countries on net, they are owed money by other countries. So if you think about like personal finance, you can be in a position where 
you have more debt than you make and can pay back at that time. So you're like your net uh, worth would be negative or you can be a net lender where your net worth is positive. You have more assets and people owe you more money than you owe people in loans and stuff. So you can think about that at the world level with countries. And then we looked up, you know, what are the countries that have are the largest net lenders and the, the largest net debtors? So we'll start with the, the net lenders because they're more interesting. Right. So this is largest. Uh, this is ranked by amount here. So if you think about just the total amount that they have lended out that other people owe them on net. The largest one would be Japan, and then Germany, and then China, then Hong Kong, then Taiwan, and then Norway. So that's the top five. That's unfortunate. Number 11 is Russia. So Russia is the 11th largest net lender in the world as a country. Which on it, so there's like two levels. One level of analysis here is that the U.S. isn't on that list because we are not a net lender. So these are this is not like these are like this is just the list of people who are doing well. They are a good financial position. Yeah. Yeah. they're not in more debt than they are in cash, or yeah. in, what they're they 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 owe more. These they guys are not upside do, down list, financially. Yeah, this list of people does not owe more than they Have. take in. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. So then you can look at the inverse of that. Which countries are upside down financially? Which countries owe more than they have and are owed? Number one, by number one. a long We're shot, number one. is the United States, which is a surprising fact and a sad fact. <laughs> we are the largest net debtor. Uh, not by a little. Not by a little. We have... An, so this is the net international investment position um, in U.S. dollars. We have a net debt of negative eight. What even is this? this oh, yeah. Trillions, this is the, billions. This is the quintillion number. Trillions. Sorry. Negative trillions. eight trillion. Trillion. The next country has a... Net debt, which is Spain, by the way, of negative nine hundred seventy-eight billion. So just multiply that by like eight, and that's where we're at. Again, the difference between a billion and a trillion is thirty-two years of seconds <laughs> versus thirty-two thousand years of seconds. It's not similar. A billionaire and a trillionaire are not similar. A trillionaire, sorry, a billionaire is closer to a homeless person than they are to a trillionaire. What? No, that's not right. That's not right. It might as well be right. No, that is, no, no, that's not right at all. It's a difference. It's a multiple of a thousand versus a, a multiple thousand. of a billion. Okay, that's true. But we're talking about multiple trillions. But if you of think dollars. about the absolute difference, yes, that would be true. Zero to one billion is only one billion, but one billion to one trillion is a thousand billions. So yeah, that's what I was saying. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think I was saying that. Okay. Sorry. I was like yeah. on multiple sense. I was like that does not make any sense. The, I'm not saying a billionaire and a homeless person are similar. <laughs> I'm saying they just 
they're in a, the their trillionaires are in a different boat. And billionaires yeah, yeah. are on the boat with everybody else. So the, we're not talking about billionaires, though. We're talking about countries. But yeah, yeah. This is yeah. We we're doing really well with math today. We had to found find out what uh, a number was earlier because it was so high that I didn't even know how to say it. I didn't know what the word for it was. It had somewhere between eighteen and twenty-seven zeros after it. <laughs> yeah, if you, in, if you know what that is, call cash. in and tell us. Yeah, call in the number. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So the the rest I'll close out the top five here. So the less uh, the rest of the top debtors uh, globally. So the U.S. is number one. Spain is number two. Then we've got Australia, and then the U.K. and then Brazil. So very interesting that U.S., U.K. and Australia very Western. Right, the Western Empire powers. versus yeah. The Eastern Empire, the Western Empire of of debt holders versus the Eastern Empire of lending, debt yeah, lending. yeah, so <laughs> debt collectors. Right, it's a little strange, but we did make the point. Yeah, let's as make I was this saying point. that, so that Japan, I was using that example of Japan before we realized we weren't recording anything. Japan, I used uh, example numbers. We're not going to go with quintillions and whatnot. We're going to go with Japan. Let's say lends out a billion and they also have debt of course maybe they have a million dollars worth of debt the u.s is not in that situation they owe more than they are owed and but that number that they are owed may be a lot more they may be loaning out 10 times what japan is loaning out so people are more in debt to us than they are to japan oh, yes, yes and that's mm-hmm. a true fact for for sure but the what makes it salient is that if everybody, all the debts are called in at one time, everybody has to pay their debts and get their dues, mm-hmm, and everybody mm-hmm. can see what's left in their pockets at the end, we are upside down. We We're underwater, money. yeah. We don't We're bankrupt. It. We can't pay it back. We don't have the money. We don't have the money by a lot, by trillions. Yeah. and By eight trillion. And yeah, so another point, so we, I gave this, we use this example too of like, you might have a little house, I might have a big house because I'm dealing in a lot more money than you are. But if all the debts get called in and I got to pay off what I've got and you've got to pay off what you've got, you've still got your house and some cash. I've got nothing. I still, I'm on the streets and I owe a trillion dollars because I may have been a bigger fish, but I didn't have... I was irresponsible with my money. And that's the situation in which we find ourselves geopolitically, economically. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to make the point. This is my personal take on what's going on with the Ukraine war because... Your conspiracy. Yeah, my personal conspiracy. Can I use the bathroom first? Oh, go. So that I can focus Yeah. before you tell your conspiracy Yeah, just go use the bathroom. This will be a mental break. We'll just play some interlude music here. Let me shake... We're back. Time for Ben's newly founded conspiracy that he's making up on the fly. Yeah. I just, there's no real evidence that I have for this. This is just a connection that I'm making between what seems like economic and political uh, irresponsibility on behalf of the United States in funding the Ukraine war uh, and what we just talked about as the 
list of top debtors and creditors in the world. And I think my theory is that the United States is in a very tricky position financially, and its financial position translates to, you know, in the long term, political hegemony and whatnot in the global political stage. And I think that maybe what's going on is that some people in the deep state or whatever, or in the government, I don't know, uh, are probably aware of this fact and are like, look, we need to do something about this. China and Russia are the world's largest net lenders. And that means they are going to be, you know, in charge, economically at least. Uh, and we need to do something about that. Maybe Ukraine because, has something to do with that. Because it's risky. We would mentioned like Saudi Arabia going like, hey, we've been trading in these petrodollars, these U.S. dollars, but, you know, you guys don't know how to spend your money right. And we're not really <laughs> sure about your dollars anymore and how that's going to go for y'all. So we've just decided we might try to use some one and might be good to diversify a little bit for us. And that's a massive... That's a massive, yeah, global shift. Because up until now, the United States dollar has been the currency of exchange in international markets. So when you do trade internationally, you, particularly of oil and gas, you, uh, you know, trade in, in dollars. And so you convert, you know, your local currency to dollars and then you pay the other country or you take payment from the country and then you convert back to your local currency. However, recently... China and Saudi Arabia came out together and said, look, we're not going to be trading in dollars anymore. We're just going to be trading in yuan, which is the Chinese currency. So there's definitely a threat to the U.S. global currency being the currency of exchange uh, and reserve, which is one of the reasons why the U.S. dollar has remained so strong for so long is because everyone, there's always demand for it because you're always transacting in dollars. But if the United States dollar was not the currency of exchange, then there would be less demand for dollars and the dollar and might Given our weaken. financial state. Yeah, especially would, given our financial state. It seems state. like it should it would all but collapse completely. Yeah. Well, so that's the other point we wanted to make too is that it's not necessarily a problem to be a debtor um, or to be in debt because – that's just how the financial system works. Sometimes you take out loans and you make investments that are going to pay off in the long term. So in the short term, you're upside down, but in the long term, it's going to work out. The problem is when you take on too much debt and it's never going to work out. Like your investments are never going to pay off the debts that you have and you're upside down financially. Typically, We've also had artificially low interest rates when interest is low. Yeah, well, you can definitely take out too much debt under a zero or low interest environment because you think, oh, this debt is really cheap. It won't cost me very much to pay back. But if interest rates rise in the future, that's right. not necessarily true. Um, but the point I wanted to make is that um, – so economists have talked about this sort of level of when, it, when are you taking on too much debt? That level being captured in this debt to GDP ratio – so that's sort of like the measure of how much are you borrowing versus how much do you make. You can think about that in your personal finance life, like how much do you borrow or how much in loans do you have versus how much income do you have. And when is too much 
when are you taking on too much uh, debt? And at a national level, that's about, economists think, like 70 80% of debt to GDP ratio. And we've observed historically that when countries go above that limit, things get bad. That they basically, countries, other countries lose faith in that country's ability to pay back its debts. And so they are... My audio is weird. That's at 80%, and we're at like 100 Right. So now, yeah, we're at 123% debt-to-GDP ratio. And um, yeah, so people are worried that other countries will no longer lend the United States money because basically they think we won't pay back those debts or whatever. Um, and that puts us in a very precarious financial position. Now, we don't necessarily know what that level is. We don't know, you know, could the United States take on more debt? Could it take on less debt? It's not like a hard measure or whatever. We're just, it's really about the confidence of other countries because the other countries in the in the world have to decide whether or not to lend the United States money when we ask for money, when we ask for, you know, to borrow money. And so really, we're just waiting until other countries are like, um, no, we're not going to lend you money. And then the United States is in a pickle financially, which means we'll have to cut spending and whatnot. Um, and so, Which has never happened. <laughs> yeah, it's like we are not very good at cutting spending in this country, <laughs> apparently. So if any of this actually continues happening, we'll have to discover a unicorn uh, or make one. So, so yeah, so we're in this weird, precarious financial position. And we've got this Ukraine war that we are spending more money on than anyone else in the world when we don't even have money to give the Ukraine because we are a net debtor in the world stage. So we are really spending other people's money on the Ukraine war, uh, which is really strange when you think about that. Um, and yeah, and I just I wonder, are they expected, are they held to account? Okay, well, first, what's your conspiracy so, so my conspiracy is just essentially that this Ukraine war, like why we're funding it and whatnot, has something to do with regaining our economic status and or hindering Russia and China from ascending economically on the global stage. Yeah. And there may be way more to it. Like maybe this is like we need to beat Russia because Russia is a net lender and they're about to exert a lot of power on the global stage economically and politically, and we need to suppress that. So we need to hurt Russia. Yeah, so I think um, there's a lot lot to, like, dig into that we maybe just kind of like a running thing that will follow me to this war after all. But we're talking a lot of moving parts, you know, with the uh, with energy, pipelines... People talking about hydrogen all of a sudden, like that's not been talked about for years. Solar, wind, then you have the Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley uh, bank collapse, bank collapse, which likely uh, had a lot to do with the funding and financing of a lot of the green energy. That's a very Silicon Valley thing to do. Uh, yeah. Well, can I interject two things? One, so just the Axis powers. That was World War II. I was right. And that was Italy, Germany, and uh, I think Romania. 
the central powers was World War I. Um, it actually is interesting because Russia wasn't originally part of the central powers. I think Russia was brought into the war very late. And at that point, it was the USSR. Um, but anyway, yeah, we've always been afraid that Germany, which is a large, powerful country, um, which, yeah, it was, and then it was crippled, and now it's become strong again. They were proud. They were, uh, whatever word you want to use, advanced. <clears throat> you know, they had a lot going on. Yeah, so... You can see the potential for a big problem uh, now that things have to change. A lot is shifting now. We've got cryptocurrencies, like just all the rage, these NFTs, all this different stuff going on, like the digitization of finance. I mean, it's and now you actually you have Elon Musk talking about making Twitter into a financial tool. Oh, well, he floated buying Silicon Valley Bank or something. Hold on. Wait, before we talk about that, though, I just I was such an idiot just a second ago. Sorry. The Axis powers are Germany, Italy and Japan. That was World War. Two. Right. World War Two. Anyway. Anyway, we're afraid of Russia getting with. History is written by the victims. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not just Russia, but you could see that there's, it's like, it's not just this. Like, I think it's all, like, there's so many things going on. There's lots of things. I think, I don't know how, like, syndicated it is or coordinated or connected, but you can't say. Well, I don't think it has to be because I think they all share a a cause, even if it's all very compartmentalized Mm. or, like, actually not even, like, like, not coordinated at all necessarily, which it is. But if it, even if it weren't, (laughs) I'm just saying because I think that I'm just an idiot and I re- recognize the no, interconnected so. nature of a lot of the stuff. Like so, other people in the government. I think they're connected, like, obviously, because we're like a large global economy and things are connected. But I don't think that it's like coordinating the people like it's directed. I just think what we're seeing is a large global shift in hedge money, you know, global hedge money. Like, I think we're seeing a shift in the financial paradigm and who's in power and who has political leverage and economic leverage on the global stage. Yeah, like, that seems like a very... It's so, It's like there's so much Russia, Russia, Russia stuff going on that it's, it's just a... I mean, it's a lot. Like, it seems very palpable well because it's palpable, okay it seems mm-hmm. very tangible something is something is weird like i yeah like i would like it's putting it's putting a, a atmosphere out there where like you wouldn't be surprised if biden came made a speech tomorrow and said we're reinstating the draft and we're going to russia you know like you'd be like well yeah okay i saw that coming well what was it at the beginning i think biden was like not even that long ago said there's like a clip of him saying don't don't get you know confused like if we go and put tanks on the ground and send troops and whatnot to ukraine he's like that's world war three that that is literally yeah, yeah, what yeah. biden I, I said remember, not that, that long ago and now that. we're doing now a lot of those saying, things now he's like we're doing that yeah and yeah. then someone recently said like i don't know who head of department of military or whatever said putin needs to be deposed or whatever like we need to take putin down which is a crazy statement. 
what do you think would happen in a perfect world where none of this is going on and the U.S. kills or deposes Putin? The answer is war. So we're in the middle of one. Now we can reincorporate reality. We're actually in sort of a war that we're like, whoa, we really don't want this to get out of hand. It could be a war. Oh, it's not really World War. It could be, and we're kind of doing the things that would make it that. Should we also kill Putin? It's like, is there any other sure way? Like, that's like, we could either kill Putin or drop a bomb on Russia. It's very strange. You're like, we need to take out the leader of Russia. Yeah, those are very certain ways to... to Make it really clear that, yes, in fact, we've decided this is World War Three. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like, I don't know when it became, I feel like it transitioned from we need to prevent Russia from taking and annexing this part of Ukraine, which they had invaded. We need to help Ukraine retake its border or re and you know this is establish the nuance its border. I wish I understood. I wish I understood what like because I'm sure like the there's specifics like whatever. what's the Donbass? It has something. It has ports. It has trade. Is there some yeah. real good so reason? There's interest, but this border is like not even well defined. Like there's been lots Russia of conflict. Those, yeah, yeah. There's lots of conflict over where these borders exist. Like they had been advancing the border, I think, for years. Like Russia had kept advancing, whatever. So it's not like we woke up one some day. Of this, some of the stuff is stuff they lost. They had before. Right. Well, Ukraine used to be part of Russia anyway, right. and people speak Russian in Ukraine. Like some people identify more with Russia in the Ukraine. It's a very complicated part of the world. Um, and so anyway. All that to say that they the war transitioned at some point from we need to help Russia take back what or we need to help Ukraine take back what Russia has taken from it to we need to destroy Russia. Well, like, it started even slower. It was like, let's just help Ukraine keep its stuff. Then right. It's, Wait, we're going to have to take things back from Russia. Wait, we're going to have to send these military things. And we're now we're talking war, about we're deposing war, its leader. War. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're, if we put tanks and people in there, that would be World War Three. Okay, we're gonna put some tanks and leaders, or t- tanks and you know, uh, did I just say leaders? I, tanks I and leaders on the on the ground. If you put, put feet on the feet on the ground, you're gonna have yeah, boots on the ground. And we're doing that, boots on the ground. And now we've got well, I just you know, I just like I go barefoot, but personally, <laughs> but uh, then you've got yeah, and it is very. I feel like. They like to do big things like bang, you know, to like get like they like to like melt towers in New York really fast oh for guys or something they, like that. I don't know who they are. I know but... I don't know who that is. That was just it was guys with box cutters. But the um, it's it does something to the you know it's like woo we're in now boys you know like let's go and it really is motivating to like have a big event like that. But it's also, I bet there is a psychology to it where that only works sometimes, and you got to be sure. And you got to wear people down and you might do it. So I, I, what I think I'm saying is I worry about two different scenarios and I think one of them is going to happen. Maybe both of them, but I don't think there's a third option where none of it happens. I don't two think scenarios this all, being, well, the one that's not happening is this all just goes away peacefully mm. and quietly. That's not going to happen. Because it's not just Russia, like we've been saying. We got to Russia because we're like, what's happening with the world? Like, 
Russia and China are talking. Saudi Arabia and China are talking. Russia and Ukraine are fighting. Like, oh, like something's going on. So, but like you were saying, it's like they're just drip, drip, drip. And that one day you just might flip the news on and they might just start referring to whatever they're calling now, whatever it is, the war in Ukraine. They just kind of slowly start calling it World War Three. And then before we know it, oh, shit, we're in it and we didn't see it coming because they just dripped one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, flip flopping on their, you know, we're not going to send people there. God, folks, folks, listen, we send tanks as World War Three. Trust me. Believe me. Right. Well, I and just then, think this is how things escalate, at least psychologically. It's like there's this sunk cost fallacy, you know, like we've been involved in this, like at least from the perspective yeah. of Russia and Ukraine. It's like, well, now I've I've people have died for this cause. Like we're not giving up now, you know, and so it's very precarious. Yeah. I, so I think what's coming is a bang, some something, a trigger, like something's got it. Now we, we're kind of getting used to it where this is like a. Neuro linguistic programming, you know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's imagine. It's like grooming, you know, like you just, oh, let me just put this out there. You know, oh, let me just put this out there. Let's just keep talking about, it. oh, let's do this. We're going to send some money. We're going to do this. And then, but we're not going, we promise nothing bad is going to happen. No war, no war. Everything's cool. Just money that we don't have. It's fine. And then people, I feel like are in a, a place where we've been worn down and we do not want this. Even the people on the left are kind of like getting to the point where they're like, it's, by the way, side note, how weird is it to be like, you know, the warmongering left? Like, they're the ones that support the war. It's very weird. <laughs> it's never been, like, it's always, it's usually reversed. So it's like, now I'm like, oh, you know, the left is even the left who support the war. Well, they uh, almost more fervently support it than the right at this point. It's very strange. If you find, there's a lot of people who are against the war and they are not going to be left wing. Well, but you yeah. Are, but my point being that it is creeping that direction where, so I just thought it was ironic that I'm like, even the left doesn't want war, which is like, wow, that's not words that have been said before. But now that they're the war party, I'm saying, we can say even the left is kind of, some people are kind of going, I don't know, guys, about this whole war thing. Like, I don't, we're not really feeling that. We're not really feeling more war. We've been doing this for almost 40 years. We should, can we just chill at some point? Like, I feel like there's not a, a taste for it. But you know what can make a taste for it? Something real bad happening. Something real bad happening. Well, yeah, I don't know. I um, I think which or it it, does, it could be a bad thing happens and pulls us right out of it. That's the other thing. It could it could redirect us and it could be economic. You know what I mean? Like China, if if China said tomorrow we're switching to Bitcoin, the whole world would come to a halt. You know what I mean? Like, so anything could flip the trigger. A, just a few short, three, four years ago or whatever, we had a pandemic and did a whole bunch of things that you could never have imagined being real uh, an hour before it happened. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think that's the fear of escalation for me is like, it just seems like we I don't think we're taking it seriously enough. Like, and this is the point uh, Tim Dillon has made, which is like, shout I don't know why. What? <laughs> I said, shout out Tim Dillon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why um, the media is so happy to like talk about the prospect of war and how virtuous, 
Ukraine is and how we should be helping them so much and talk about nuclear risk. And I'm like, these things, like, it's just like completely out of touch. Like, you like to talk about nuclear war, like, what are we, like, that is the most tragic thing imaginable. Like, that is the worst possible event that could probably happen on planet Earth. And to just be floating it as like, a, this might happen and maybe it would bring a swift halt to the war. You know, it's like, what are we talking? This is so crazy. Like thousands, millions of people might die. Haven't you heard their tactical nukes? They're little nukes. It's okay. It's fine. You know, you just put it in a cigar and give it to Putin. It's no problem then. It is like, who are these people talking about? Like, I like these are clearly not military people. Like, you have not seen battle. You have not been to the front of a war. You know, it's like if you talk to those people, they do not want this. You know, they're like, it's the worst thing ever. We don't we want to avoid this at all costs. For for the whole point of like the apocalypse, we don't want that with nuclear fallout. Nuclear winter, sure. Or just a third world war, even that. But also, as we started out by saying the gajillions of dollars we're spending when we just had a very expensive scamdemic and more money to, you know, come up with a solution for the pandemic, more money was created. We would say printed, but we know they don't print money anymore. They just type it zeros onto the end of the fucking numbers on their computers. More money was created during that time span than in the entire history of the country. Or some may say in all of human history as far as that kind of money creation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again we don't have money as we just explained we have negative monies <laughs> we are underwater financially we are deflating our currency so and we're number one by t- multiple of nine nine hundred percent yeah eight whatever more bad off financially than anybody else and I bet you, if we checked another statistic, which you may have already said, and I probably just forgot it, we are probably also number one in funding this whole Ukraine thing. We are, yeah. We are number one by a factor of nine there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so that's It's a perfect. weird scenario. It's a weird confluence of facts, of situations... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what's going on, you know, and I think it seems very precarious. It seems very risky. Um, That's an understatement of the year. Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I, and I don't know what the government is doing about it. Well, meanwhile, I don't know if we talked about this on this recording since we just talked about this all that we didn't record. <clears throat> but meanwhile, we have the Hunter Biden, Burisma, Ukraine, Biden family connections. The connections to Ukraine. Yeah. There's a lot. There's so much, many moving parts. And I was thinking this. I've heard when you were talking about world wars, the world wars have been described in many ways by different people. Like kind of just like, oh, that war is about this. Oh, no. Sure, that war. And yeah. you have like these different opinions. There's and lots I of think narratives. None of them, and whole tomes can be written about them. I've yeah. got one guy that I love to read who just recently died, God rest his soul, Jim Mars. 
uh, called the uh, I can't remember if it was World War One or World War Two, but he referred to it as the uh, pharmaceutical war, and then the other one had another purpose. I can't remember, like a technology war or something like that. And that's and then he lays out his argument. And it's very persuasive, and then you have other guys who can write tomes and say that war was really about economic hegemony. That war was really about military power, uh, regional control, trade, whatever. And they're all true, I think, because. Well, there's at least some truth in all of them. Usually it's like you're just assembling facts and trying to loop them together. The point I'm making is, you, is as I think as Solinsky said, never let a good crisis go to waste is the most innocent explanation. So when something like this is going on, when these kinds of things are going on, pieces are moving. People are not paying attention to everything. It's too much at one time. And people take advantage, if nothing mm. else, of the turmoil. I mean, we have like, we just said, we've like just said three things and all of them are like catastrophic. We've got Silicon Valley bank failures, wars in Ukraine, threatening a World War Three literally financial crisis and collapse inflation going out of control i mean these are all uh convening again if you're a coincidence theorist i'm more of a conspiracy theorist you go wow these are a bunch of coincidences nonetheless they're happening and that's concerning well can we just put a point too on the silicon valley bank collapse so what happened with the silicon valley bank collapse is that they had a liquidity crunch where people tried to withdraw a bunch of money, more money than they had. And partly what had happened was they were invested in long-term bonds. So our bond-backed securities, which is a financial instrument trading bonds. But um, so bonds are loans to the government and they're very traditionally financially stable instruments. However, there had been some, they're non-liquid. Liquidity is like always a spectrum. It's like things are more liquid or less liquid. So these are less liquid because you you could sell them, but you don't want to sell them. It's less than uh, like a, a house is less liquid than cash, like, you know, because it takes you time to sell the yeah, house. That's why you can have a net worth of $5 million, but not have $5 million because you just have stuff that's $5 million. And theoretically, you can actually get a loan out on your net worth, you know, by looking mm-hmm, at that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you, but because actually what you need is exactly what you don't have, liquid cash. Right, I need right. cash I can move around right now and do stuff with. I'm not going to sell my house to buy a tractor. Exactly, yeah. Right. So anyway, so you can sell these bonds. Um before they mature, there's a value to them. You know, you can trade them. There's a, a market for bonds. And, um, well, there's a weird thing that happens in the banking system where these securities, for these bond securities, don't have to be written to market value. So typically when you report uh, your financial results as a company, you have to report your assets and your liabilities. And your assets are... For things that are non-liquid, like they aren't cash, uh, you typically record the value of what what they would be worth if you sold them today. So if I you know, have a factory or a piece of equipment, it's like, what are my assets worth? Well, they're, they're worth whatever I could sell them for. So that's what you record on the books. However, there was some, I think it was Frank Dodd, regulation was appealed or whatever. It used to be in place, but then it was taken away 
And one of the quirky things about that law, I think, is I'm not sure I'm getting the law right, but this is a fact, is that bonds currently do not have to be written down to their market value. So these assets, these bonds that you have, are written down at the value that they are worth when you will sell them at maturity. So for long-term bonds, that means when you're going to sell them in 10 years, potentially, not what they're worth if you sell them today. And so they were actually, what happened is the government raised interest rates, which this gets a little complicated, but it basically makes the bonds worth less if you have to sell them today. So their current value goes down. Now that doesn't get recorded on the books. And so the bank looks like it's in a healthier position. It has more assets than it actually does. And so in a liquidity crunch, when you need to sell things to cover your cash needs in the short term, you don't have enough assets to cover your liquidity needs because you can't sell the assets that you have at the price that you've recorded on the books. It's actually, you can sell them for less than that. And so that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. They had a liquidity crunch. Their bonds you know, were worth less than they thought, and they didn't have enough money to cover um, the liquidity needs that they had. So they were going to need to raise some money and whatnot. And that would have actually been fine, uh, but a lot of people ended up calling even more money out of the bank. So a bunch of Silicon Valley partners and investors, VCs, venture capitalists, told all their startups like, hey, you need to get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank because they just said they were having some liquidity crunches and they're going to need to raise money. And this made the problem worse, which is typically how bank probably runs told go. you to put it there in the first place, but yeah. Right, exactly. So it doesn't make any sense. So anyways, so all these banks, yeah, needed to get their money out, whatnot. The point I want to make is, sorry, that was so long to explain uh, just the mechanics of it, but it's important because the point I wanted to make was that that problem is not unique to Silicon Valley Bank. No, no. I, was, I was literally going to say that is why banking should almost be illegal because that very moment is not – nothing is wrong really. We're, we're like you can hang the like the like cork on of this be like, oh, but it's the bonds thing. But it's like, yeah, but all banking is like that's how it works. No bank has enough money for people to withdraw their money. At one time. So I should say that the fundamental reality of the banking system we have today, for better or worse, is... For worse. Um, <laughs> you know, invest long and lend short. And so the idea is that there's some inherent risk in the banking system. And that's immoral for the banks and for you. Like, you should not... Like, the, I don't like mortgages because it's like... The root word, do you know where that word comes from? It's French. The first part of that word is mort. M and how do you spell it? M-O-R-T. It's a death contract. <laughs> That's what the word basically means. Right. It's an engagement till death. Because right. you'll never pay this off. It's too long of a time. Well, so, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, the bank, it's making these long-term loans and there's always some risk that in the short term, before those loans and investments come to maturity, um, that people will need their money. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because typically people don't need all that money today. Like no one, yeah. not everyone comes to the bank and says, you know, I need my money, which is partly why they're giving it to the bank. They're like, look, I don't need this right now. And the bank is doing, you know, investing with it. And we also it have the FDIC 
which is insurance. It insures, yes. To to and it ins- it'll Deposits. insure you up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. So really, if you're worth enough money to have two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash and then some, like maybe a million, it makes absolutely no sense to put it in the bank like that. That's pretty weird, actually. It's, in fact, the given that it's part of the story for me is a little suspicious. Because, it, well, these I mean, are clearly that whole business bank whatever accounts, scam they so. were involved in with counting their 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 bonds was problematic because it put them in a position. I mean, really, I'm I'm thinking either way. It's not, I, I don't think any bank could handle it. The, the well, FDIC insurance is a warning <laughs> to customers. Yeah, hey, so what was these unique? These guys are not going to have your money. <laughs> yeah, what was unique about SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was that the the lending that they were doing and the customers that they do business with are high-risk clients, and those are high-risk deals. So because you're lending to venture capitalists... There is a lot of venture capital and... Right. Yeah, a lot you're of, lending uh, large amounts of money and it's high risk. Like you're not sure there's low, less or lower than other banks and clients. Uh, yeah, I mean, 90% probability of is a scam. That so you'll get... It's, some yeah. of it's going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> like, Payback. So, um, so yeah, it's, very, it's a risky operation just in general. Um, but the bond thing... Every bank is in that situation right now where interest rates have gone up, meaning that bonds are worth less if you had to sell them today if any bank were to enter a liquidity crunch. Any bank were to enter a liquidity crunch. Well, this is how they start. But none of the bonds are marked to market value on the books right now. Yep. Bank, one bank fails. <laughs> what happens next? Probably another bank fails. Well, so yeah, so two okay. banks have failed already. So, <laughs> right. so yeah, here we go, everyone, SVB and this other bank. Now, FDIC has stepped in and the government has said depositors are not going to lose any money. They're all going to be paid back. They're acting as a backstop. Um, and It's called a bank bailout? No, it's not a bank bailout because they're not bailing out the institution and the investors. So though the institution is kaput, the investors' shares are worthless but the depositors who had their money, those people are going to be made whole. And yeah, I think I the bank is going fish. to be sold to someone. They're looking for a buyer to buy the of bank. Of course. It's um, because but, uh, institutions aren't real people, despite what everyone's been brainwashed to think. They're just buildings and <laughs> letterheads. They're nothing. It's a concept. It's an idea. The people in those institutions... Our people. Control those institutions are actual humans, and everyone's gonna be fine. And if they need a fall guy, they'll take a fall guy. Big deal. But the whole scam just keeps going. Yeah. So well, anyway. So they're yeah. This is a a big financial risk. The FDIC has come out and said you know they're gonna make people whole, which is supposed to instill confidence in the banking system, so that there isn't a huge liquidity crunch um, or consolidation of the banking sector, where everybody. The idea would be that maybe a lot of people would take their money and move it to the top four banks or something, because those would be perceived as uh, too big to fail institutions, where your money would be the safest or whatever which would cause the collapse of a lot of smaller banks and whatnot. 
And this is always a risk in the financial system. Or buy a Chinese currency. That's the real solution here. Yeah, you need to change your currency from USD to hold it in one. yuan. Probably be a good investment. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so maybe you should do that. But anyway, so yeah, all that is connected, I think. Uh, there's this yeah, systemic financial risk, which seems to be exacerbated um, in our current present situation where interest rates have been rising very rapidly and uh, there's some political unrest, uh, war in Ukraine, whatnot. And yeah, it just all seems very strange. It's a scam. Um, yeah, so uh, buy Chinese one and... That's pretty much all I've got to say on that. This is financial advice. Um, Can I say, though, too? So I listened to the latest Tim Dillon show with... Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Uh, Alex Jones. Yeah, with Alex Jones. Amazing. I just wanted to comment on the fact that I never thought that I would get to this point in my life, and I just never thought that this would happen where I literally believe and trust Alex Jones more than I do the president or the United States government. Yeah. Like, and what is going on? Why am I like this conspiracy guy? He seems trustworthy. Well, yeah, I've followed him on and off for years. And he is such an interesting phenomenon because, you know, the left used to like him a lot. What? Because he was against Bush. Oh, he my God. Always, you know, he's against war. That is against, hard to believe. Very anti-Saffron guy. So, I mean, he's been in like movies and stuff. Now he's like, you know, persona non grata. But he, the stuff that has revolved around him throughout the years has been so bizarre. And now you have people like Joe Rogan, Tim Dillon, and they're willing to talk to the guy. Even after all this. It's a little interesting. Like, how risky is it? I don't know. It's just it. something about that strikes me as odd. But I will say I watched that video with him and Alex Jones. And I'd seen, I saw stuff on that. I did not know. I didn't buy the story that they were talking about. They were talking about, like, the January 6th riots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, because Alex Jones is now at the forefront of that. He did it. It's his fault. He was leading the charge. Apparently not. Yeah. Well, that was the most strange thing to me was that government officials told him he was going to be leading the protest. And then he told them, don't be violent. March to the other side of the Capitol. We don't want to give them violence. We want to protest. And we're going to go listen to Trump want. speak. Yeah. Don't make them yeah. don't do what they're doing. We And he's like yelling and this there's on videos, a yeah, for like 10 this. minutes. He's like, people, calm down. If you can't hear me, tell people around you. We're peaceful. We are going to do everything we're doing in a completely peaceful, orderly fashion. Please, he's like begging, like his voice is cracking. He's like, please, calm down. We are not Antifa. We are not BLM. Right. We are peaceful. We are Which going to. Which is so crazy. And it then was, he told, too, that he tried to get the police or whatever to turn on the loudspeakers to tell people to, to stop tell them to chill. protesting. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like, and and they wouldn't, which is the craziest thing. And he was like, and they let, I mean, this is Alex Jones' words. I have no idea if this is true or not, but he was like, police let the guy who led the, the people into the Capitol 
they let him in. And he was like schizophrenic. And he that he just thought that those people were like with him or whatever. And it was like, no, those were police officers who were letting you into the Capitol. Yeah. And that guy's schizophrenic. And that guy gave a prayer where he thanked the police officers and thank God for the police officers while he was in the Capitol. A lot of interesting it's very things weird. That, that, where meanwhile, know. this is which is who cares about all this. The interesting thing is the same thing that's interesting about Sandy Hook. Where's the mainstream media? Why aren't you? If you have some other take, which clearly they do, instead of blatantly and bald facedly lying about what happened, calling Alex Jones like essentially the leader of a of a insurrection of the United States government, which is what they say. Why not? Um, you know, be reporters, ask questions, yeah, figure out the real story. Real Why not talk to Alex Jones about what you're accusing him of? I'm sure he's available. Right. And then, too, there were all these, that was the big thing they talked about, which is like there were all these operatives involved, all these FBI operatives, I think, involved in the It's just like the, the Gretchen event. Whitmer case where they were going to kidnap that She was kidnapped lady. or whatever. And, yeah. Or there was a what plot was to kidnap her. Twelve of the 14 people involved in that were FBI informants. The kidnappers, yeah. Yeah. People, Two yeah. of them were potheads. That, and there's literally like texts back and forth where the pothead guys are like, can we get like some weed? Yeah, Meanwhile, it's weird. I don't the know the FBI is what orchestrating some kind of kidnapping of some government official, which, by the way, there's a word for that. It's called false flag. Look, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all this. I think clearly there's something that's being concealed that's not coming out or whatever. And I don't know what it is or why it's being concealed. And I think the thing you at least can point to is that some people who claim to be reporting the truth are definitely not. So that's one thing we know for sure. They're actively lying. It's not like they're even omitting the truth. They're just saying lies. Yeah. So I think that's like the weirdest thing to me that seems obvious, which is like the media... Is the like the biggest culprit. You. Yeah, yeah, they're informing you about the Ukraine and all the details and what's true and what's false, and they're lying liars. Right. They are lying about things, or at least they're doing a really, really, really bad job of doing journalism. And... Yeah, and guys with a cell phone and a YouTube channel are doing a more professional, better job than they are. So right, which that's is pretty questionable. Crazy. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens with all of this. I suspect that, um, yeah, we'll see some sort of, of – we'll probably see something come out about January 6th, some sort of new information and whatnot as these cases go on. It and then I also – the other way. Yeah, we'll also see uh, whatever's going to happen with this Ukraine war and SVP collapse and whatnot. Yeah, breaking – it's this breaking news, really. 